Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners in their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. Right. You guys, welcome to the show. I am so excited for our guest today. Justin Michael Williams is here and he works at the intersection of music, meditation, and equality, which happen to be some of my very favorite things. He's on a mission to bring personal growth to the people, which also happens to be a mission dear to my heart. And I found Justin through my unlearning work and really resonated with his ideas. I am so excited to bring him onto the show today and really share him with you. You guys, he's an author, a transformational speaker, and a top 20 recording artist who has become a pioneering voice for diversity and inclusion in wellness. From growing up with gunshot holes outside of his bedroom window to sharing the stage with people like Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra, Justin knows well the pain of adversity and the power of healing to overcome. He's been featured by countless publications and he has a groundbreaking book called Stay Woke and over a decade of teaching experience. Justin's message of hope and empowerment has spread to more than 40 countries around the globe, particularly through his national Stay Woke Give Back Tour, which brings mindful to youth and underserved communities. Justin is dedicated to using his voice to serve and wait till you hear it, guys. It's amazing. Hold on. I'll bring him here in just a second. Um, And he is a beacon of hope for those who are lost to make sure that people of all backgrounds have the access to the information they need to change their lives. So without further ado, Justin, welcome. I'm so excited Thank to have you, you here. Thank you so much, you know, <laughs> for having me. I'm just so grateful to be here. Same, same. This is, I was saying earlier that I kind of feel like a, a little bit of a fangirl, a little bit starstruck because I, I am just such a fan of your work and really excited to have you here and share with our listeners today. So do you want to give us just a little bit more about your background and story? Yeah, of course. I mean, so I'm a Pisces. No, I'm just, yes, <laughs> I'm, a Pisces, I'm a Libra. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, I always joke about that. I'm like, I'm a Pisces sun, a Taurus moon, Aries rising. Like, I just like, this is I'm like, what do you want to know? No, I'm kidding. The, All um, of the things. Yeah. So, you know, I think what feels relevant in the context of the conversation that I believe we're having today, you know, given mm-hmm. everything that's going on in the world today is, you know, the fact that we are even here together having this conversation. Mm. Like just that period is fucking revolutionary. It is. It's totally revolutionary. And, you know, our ancestors on all, on all planes, like did not have the opportunity to do this work in the way that we're doing it today. Didn't have the opportunity on many levels, like to even think about things like mental health and manifesting and life purpose and making your one day happen. Like they had to like sacrifice that shit to create stability and the possibility for change for the future generation. And and Mm. we are that generation. And our job now is to show up and be what I love, like Leila Saad says so much, is to be the good ancestors of this time. And, Mm. you know, I think about me, I, I grew up, you know, growing up in a home literally with gunshot holes on the outside of my house and with domestic violence and alcoholism and my parents doing really the best they could given their circumstances you know you go four generations back and you find slaves you know Mm -hmm. and just like 
my parents did a great job. And, you know, for me, I think one of the biggest blessings for me was overcoming what I call like chronic overachiever syndrome (laughs) to finally step into the truth of my life and my purpose and not just be living my life based on everyone else's expectations, but really living a life that was in fully alignment with my, in full alignment with my values and what I believe to be important in the world. And, And so, yeah, I've had a gift to do some pretty cool stuff that like young Justin would think was crazy, you know, like the, <laughs> the stages that I've been on and the places that I've been. And, but mostly it's the, the impact that I'm so grateful to have and just working with people mm. like you. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. You have, you have done some really cool things. Um, I have n- not at all shared a stage with Marianne or Deepak, but was <laughs> able to attend um, a conference where they both spoke together um, in Aspen, Colorado, a few years back and just incredible teachers. And you said something along the lines of like Leila Saad and being the good ancestors right now. And you're absolutely right. Our parents did everything that they knew how to. They did the best jobs that they could given the circumstances that they faced. And um, I was actually just having the conversation earlier today around, you know, what does it look like to to fully forgive them, let go of anything that has shaped you and and trust that it's it was needed and necessary to craft us into who we are and why we're here. Those ancestors wow. paved that way for us. And there's this, this responsibility of the healing that we get to do and the ownership we get to take in that and what we get to create together and transform in this world with that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's important. You know, it's, this is like a crucial part of the work that we're here to do now. And I think you, the, just in the way that you said that, like, it just reminds me of forgiveness in a really strong way, you know, around stuff that happens with our families and, and our upbringing. And I love this Oprah who's like, you know, a mentor to me from afar and like a, in a big way. It's like, she uses this quote that says, forgiveness is letting go of the hope that the past could be any different than what it was. And right, isn't that I just like, like got head to toe chills. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a whole different way of thinking of forgiveness, right? Cause we think mm. of forgiveness as like condoning or saying it was okay. And even to be honest, like sometimes, you know we're hesitant to forgive because we think that we're saying that what happened was all right, or that right. we were okay with it, or and and I think that definition of it being giving up the hope that the past could have been any different than what it was, it really opens us up to be present with what is now, because what is now is the only thing that we have to to change and make a difference with. Mm. Yeah, and oh man, I I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know, the thought patterns, the collective thought patterns that have been passed down by generation to generation to generation. I think this is definitely something we'll get into when we talk about your article and looking at what are those thought patterns? What is the generational trauma that's been passed down? How do we let it go? And how do we, instead of continuing to focus on what's happened and the wrongs, the if from, you know, an individual lens all the way up to the collective lens, how do we, how do we let that go so that we can really start to move forward? Because it has to be acknowledged first. <laughs> first, we got to start with acknowledgement. Then we get to start with l- releasing, right? And then we can start to move forward. 
before we jump there, I do want to talk, you know, meditation and spirituality has been a, a huge guiding force in your life. And I think is yeah. really, you give it the, the credit where credit is due to opening up so many doors. And it's the first thing that I start with my clients, like, okay, great. You, we're working together. Guess what? You're getting a meditation practice, whether you like it or not. And it's something that feels for people a little bit you know, trendy or even at this point overdone, everybody's talking about meditation and like for good fucking reason. If you are listening and you are not yet meditating, please, I know this man is going to be able to help me convince you um, <laughs> because it's, it's, a, it's the best tool for self-awareness that you can possibly give yourself. So tell us about how you came into meditation and really your journey with it and how it's facilitated some transformation for your life. Yeah. Well, truth is when I started meditating, I hated it. I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, is. it was so <laughs> stupid. I was like, what is this? Like I'm sitting here trying to get my mind to stop thinking, looking at this damn candle flame or trying to like focus on my breath. And like, all I'm thinking about is like food and sex and like <laughs> not able to focus at all. And, you know, and, and I think it, a lot of people are surprised when I say that that way, because that's how most of us feel in our practices. And we have this feeling of like, oh, I'm trying to get my mind to stop thinking, but I can't stop thinking. It's what I'm supposed to stop thinking. It should be, you know, there's, there's a couple of funny Instagram videos and memes going around about it right now. And the, the true story for me is I was in college and I meditation, there was no iPhone yet. There were no apps. Like Oprah hadn't done a meditation challenge yet. Like it wasn't in that level of the pop culture, mm -hmm. you know, at that point. And you know, I grew up in a pretty religious household, Catholic, grew up very Catholic and, you know, went to college and I had this moment of reckoning where I had gotten to college. I got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I get to LA. I'm like living this life that looked like I'd always dreamed of when I was a kid. I was like, I got out of my hometown. I'm like in this amazing university. Like I have money because I have a scholarship. And I had this moment where I said, why am I still not happy? Mm. Like, how is it that I've fulfilled every expectation that I set for myself and that other people have set for me and I'm still miserable? Like I'm yep. still not happy. And I had this moment where I went to therapy, which was like so taboo for me to be this black man in therapy, like at the moment. So I secretly go and don't tell anybody in my family. And the therapist says to me, you should try meditation. And I literally go, Meta what? <laughs> I was like, wait. I was like, isn't that that thing where they like worship the devil or those statues with all those arms? Like, I literally mm -hmm. didn't really even know what it was. And um, he said to me in that moment, "No, meditation is a practice that actually helps you learn to find your happiness inside of yourself, and it looks like." you've been trying and been taught for your whole life to find your happiness outside with external validation and by your achievements and by your accomplishments. And I think you finally found that that's a dead end road. So it's about time, young man, that you learn to find your happiness within. And I'm thinking within where? Like at that age, I'm like, hey, what do you mean? Like, where is it at, you know? Let me jump in here real quick to let y'all know I have a lot to tell you about very soon. I am bursting at the seams and also still pulling together the final pieces for a retreat, a book, a brand new way to be in community and work together. November will be a month to remember friends, so stay tuned. 
In the meantime, I've got a little present for you. As a thank you for listening and being on this journey with me to celebrate this latest kick-ass episode, I'd love to gift you a free 10-minute sound journey, a little something-something I'm calling a take 10. In this 10-minute experience that blends breathwork and guided visualization with the vibes of the crystal singing bowls, you're going to regulate your nervous system, you'll practice dropping into lower brainwave states for deeper connection to your intuition and subconscious, and you'll experience productive rest and recovery at a cellular level in your mind, your body, and your spirit. My favorite way to use this is in the middle of my workday to break things up and just give myself a little bit of a recharge. So grab a pair of headphones and take 10 to plug back in and find your elevated self. Click on the link in the show notes and go ahead and get you some. Now let's get back to this kick-ass episode. And so that set me on this incredible journey. And um, I ended up meeting an amazing teacher named Lauren Roche, who took me under his wing for several years. And I apprenticed with him very closely for three years and he's been teaching for like 40, 50 years. And, um, and then over time, now I've been practicing for 12 years, you know, really finding my own voice in the movement and understanding how do we bring this practice of meditation to people like you and me, like people who have busy minds, type A personalities, lots of things to do, who are overcoming stress and anxiety, who want to find their purpose, who like feel that something missing in their life. How do we use this practice, not just to relax, but to actually become more alive? Mm. And that's what, you know, the reason why I teach it. And that's the reason why I care about it so much. Amazing. I love what you said about, you know, this misconception. I think you spoke about this recently on Instagram too, because it's like, there is this, this misconception that you sit down to meditate. And if you just don't immediately have a blank mind, then you're bad at it. Like people tell me all the time, like, Oh, I've tried meditation. I'm not good at it. I'm like, you are not special. Nobody's good. at. (laughs) Nobody is good at meditation. Nobody. And if they say they are, they're full of shit. And like, yeah, yeah, like it's, that's just, it's the first time you go to a karate class, you're going to suck. The first time you do anything, you're going to suck at it much less if it's facing your own mental (laughs) chaos. I have a little bit of a different take on it. So like I, I actually think meditation is totally natural to us if we're doing the right style. Ooh, tell I me more about that. that. Yeah, I actually really believe that the reason most of us have such a hard time with meditation is because we're doing the wrong type of meditation. There's lots of styles of meditation. And one of the things that becomes important with the style that like when I was first trying meditation, I hated it, I thought it was stupid. And then I got introduced to a different style and I was like, oh, this is meditation? this is dope. Like, this is cool. This I can do. And it's, there's different styles. Like when we try to do these styles of meditation that are like, you know, here you are supposed to get your mind to stop thinking. First of all, it never, you can't get your mind. (laughs) Yeah. That's literally impossible. (laughs) No, it would be like me saying, okay, everybody, we got to get our hearts to stop beating to meditate one, (laughs) two, three. And then you sitting there beating yourself up because you weren't able to get your heart to stop beating. Right. And everybody else in the room is like, oh, my heart stopped beating. And I felt so relaxed and peaceful, which is what everyone's doing when they're meditating. They're Mm -hmm. like pretending they've gotten their minds to stop or their minds to slow down Mm -hmm. when no, you didn't. Because (laughs) just the idea that you got your mind to stop thinking is what? A thought. An idea. Exactly. it's It's a thought. And so like the... The thing is, is what I believe is that when we learn to meditate with something we love, about something we love, in service of something we love, then it it changes from being this chore 
to being more like a treat. And I tell people literally, and I know you're, you you said just a little bit ago before we started that you're like into neuroscience and this mm-hmm. stuff, which I geek out on, on the science Love big it. time. The quote on the back of my book is this, if you can worry, you can meditate. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because worrying and meditation, when they actually look at the brain, same it's thing. the same thing. Like it's the same thing. But the flip is with worrying, you're bringing your mind back to some centering thought that is based on fear. But when you meditate, you're bringing your mind back to a centering thought that you're choosing to -hmm. cultivate in your own life. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is the physiological and emotional and psychological outcomes of worrying and meditation are very different. But the function of how they work in the brain is literally the same. And so when people are like, I don't know how to meditate, I'm like, you do it all day. You just do it in worry, you know? Yeah. And so you're just doing just, it with your eyes open, wishing for something like yeah. asking the universe for something bad to happen. Yeah. And one thing that I'll say before we move on is one of my favorite things that people always ask me if like there was a one thing that you could have had in your book that didn't make your book, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what would it be? And it's this quote that I like came up with in different ways. I think I, I never like to say I came up with something because I'm sure I heard something somewhere <laughs> and then read something else somewhere else and then heard something, you know, and then it pops into your mind in, in its own way. But fear and faith are literally the same thing. They're literally the exact same thing. And when people, when I say that, people usually say, how? Fear and faith seem totally different. Now, I'm not talking about religious faith in particular. in particular. I'm talking about, the larger umbrella umbrella of faith that is like a complete confidence and belief in something or someone. Mm. And when you look at fear and faith, the reason they're the same is this. Both of them require you to believe in something that you can't see and that hasn't happened yet. Both. It literally, that's the foundation of fear and faith. You're believing in something that you can't see and that hasn't happened. And so with faith, we're believing in possibility. With fear, we're believing in demise. And so when we meditate, we're literally flipping the switch from fear to faith. That's literally what we're doing in our minds, which is so freaking important right now, given the state of fear that's getting injected into all of us from every single corner of the media and everywhere that we look. Are you guys listening to this man? This is so good. This is so good. And I have to show you. I don't think you'll be able to read this because it's backwards, but it says, it's, no, I see it. It says you can. Faith in yourself and in the future. I love that. that this is one of my all time favorite quotes. It literally has carried me through so many dark times and just, and being able to flip that fear to faith switch and like, but think really, about like if you change the word to fear, like how, as much as we don't like to say it, like how much that actually defines our life, like have fear in yourself and in the future, like how much mm-hmm. do we actually live our lives that way? You know? All the time. All the time. All the time. You see it all the time. I think you can just write a whole second book on this, Justin. <laughs> I'm yeah. serious. I'll be on the book promotion team. Deal. So 
Oh, wow. That is great. So, okay, everyone, your homework is to start meditating. Actually, before we move on, I, you know, you mentioned in, yes, there are about as many types of meditation are there as there are ways to brush your teeth, right? And so if you're new to meditation and now you're convinced that you want to get on the meditation train, there's all sorts of different ways you can try and, you know, play around with. Is there a specific style that you're speaking of that you'd recommend yeah, so for people to I check out? I teach a method called freedom meditation. That's okay. the style of meditation that I teach in my book. My book is called stay woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. It's available anywhere. You can buy a book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever. We'll definitely and link so to that in show notes for everybody. There, but I also have like literally hundreds of free resources online. If you have the, the insight timer app, I'm on there. If you have Love insight you know, timer, I'm literally all over. So if you just Google my name, Justin Michael Williams meditation, I promise you'll find plenty of resources that can help you do a meditation style that really is fit to work with our messy, modern everyday lives. Not this like sitting on a mountaintop bullshit, you know, mm -hmm. that, mm. that kind of spiritually bypasses the truth of what's happening in our world. Absolutely. I talk a lot about metacognition with my clients and just this idea that we have to be able to think about our own thoughts. Like you don't have to, I guess. <laughs> and if you, if, you, if you would like to um, evolve as a human being, it's a very helpful tool to have because once you have, once you create metacognition, which literally the definition is the ability to think about your thoughts, then you're able to see what's happening. You're able to see that you're in a fear-based mantra versus a faith-based mantra. You're able to see that you might be falling into a collective thought pattern that actually doesn't serve you, that you never picked you never chose for yourself, but it was put onto you by society, by the church, by your, your upbringing, whatever it might be. So, you know, finding and meditation is just by bar none, the quickest, fastest path to creating metacognition in your life. There's yeah. a lot of other ways you can do it. Journaling, um, all sorts of different, like I do a word diet exercise with clients and it's like th having to think about what you're thinking about and what you're about to say. Um, but meditation, 100%, the quickest path to um, developing that self-awareness. Um, yeah. I loved your New Year's Eve event. Oh, thank you. Manifest New Year's Eve, you guys. Um, and Justin is so generous that he like puts all of this stuff up on his website. There's all these interviews with incredible people like Young Pueblo, um, Dr. Sarah King. Oh, I mean, I have amazing. I have <laughs> I've got a I've got a fangirl girl moment with you, but like, oh my god, yeah. her Sarah's the truth. She is the truth. Yeah, she is unbelievable. She's a neuroscientist, you guys. And um, her work crosses a lot of different paths as well, which is what, that's what I love about neuroscience is that it's really grounding all of these things like, um, you know, personal development and social justice and all of these different modalities out that exist out there. It's really giving all of them a, a stronger foundation to stand on and for us to under understand how to work with it. And, and yeah. you can't necessarily say that about other sciences, how they touch so many different parts of, of life. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I digress, go to his, go to Justin's website. So you can see some of these amazing resources and interviews that he had with these people. But one of um, my favorite things that you really spoke to, and was a big core message for this event, um, that you, you talked about really the idea of, uh, you know, obviously creating a vision, big mm -hmm. 
fun thing to do at the top of the year um, and very necessary thing, I think, for people to do. However, the mistake that a lot of people make is getting attached to the outcome of that vision and getting and getting too stuck on the like, did I check the box or did I not check the box? And it goes back to actually who you're becoming to get there. And I would just love if you could share a little bit of that message and speak to that, because I think so often people get get tied up with the end results and miss the whole point of yeah. what, 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 the, what happens, the transformation and the process to, to, to that vision. Yeah. And you know, it ties so beautifully in what we talked about with meditation just a few moments ago, because so if the point of meditation is to become more alive, then the question becomes like, what does it really mean to be alive? And who are we being as we're alive? It can't just be about what we're doing, right? Because we do a lot of stuff like sit on the toilet. You know, I mean, you do so many things like literally throughout your day. So it's like, it's more of like the, who are we being in our aliveness? And how do we continue to anchor back into that? I'll give um, a super tangible example, because I know that this sounds really theoretical at first, but I'll give one that I think a lot of people can relate to. So most of us have had an experience in our lives where we're in a relationship with someone, whether it's a romantic relationship or not. And we get out of that relationship, whether it's a friendship, whatever we, we get out of it because we realize the relationship isn't right for us anymore, isn't serving us anymore. And then we take some time by ourselves and we do all the things. And then we get into a new relationship and soon realize we're in the same damn relationship, but with a different person, same problems, same cycles, same conversations, same stuff, right? Same and common denominator. Say, yes. And that's because <laughs> the common denominator isn't just what people miss here is like, oh, well, the common denominator is you. Well, yes. But what about you? Because we have seen moments in our lives where you can get in new relationships and have change. So it's not just you, it's something about you. And what that is, is if we haven't changed at our level of being who we are actually being and the energy that we're being, then we can't show up for any relationship differently, whether that's to people, to partners, to our jobs, to our bodies, to our money, to social justice and activism and change, the whole thing. Like literally, I, I, this is kind of tricky when it comes to semantics, but I'll just, I'll say it this way is how I define it. Like there is a difference between change and transformation. Hmm. Things change all the time. We change presidents, laws change, the days change, we change our clothes, we change whatever. None of those changes ever have the impact we want them to have, lasting impact if we haven't transformed. And the transformation has to be at this level of who we are actually showing up as in all the doing that we do. Mm. And so that's where the beingness is, because it's like, what is this constant that's there in all the doing, you know? And so mm. that is, um, you know, it just shows an example like, I, I, anyway, I can give a million examples, but I'll just say this it, it, to be simple. What this is really about is the internal work that we have to do to make the external world show up differently. And when people hear me say that in like a social justice or activist space, they sometimes roll their eyes and think that I'm saying that the external work doesn't matter or that the internal work matters more. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the external work 
the work we're doing for social justice, for equality, for change, and the work you're doing to break through your own traumas and change your family and change your own individual self external. Yes. Like that work matters so much that it must be met with the same force and commitment in our internal work so that the external work can actually do something. You know, we don't so just, excited over here. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I mean, because this is the that's the real work, you it know. It is. It so, is. You can yeah. and you can't have one without the other, right? It is no. it is the be the change you wish to see in the world. We can't change these systems if we're not willing to change the systems within ourselves. Yeah. And like, and the word you just said is hella important. Like be the change, mm. not just do do the change. Mm -mm. And you, we do have to do some things, but it's like, you got to be it in the doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where the real transformation happens. And that is literally that reason alone is like the lens through which I see meditation as important because it allows us through, like you were talking about metacognition, all these different things to have the awareness to change our level of being. And so that's the kind of practice that I invite people into in my book and in my work. Amazing. So freaking good. I'm a, I'm a word nerd, self-proclaimed self word nerd because they matter. They absolutely matter. And I love that yeah. distinction that you made for us for between change and transformation. Um, it's, it's very, very important. And yeah, the ability, I think one of the things I love most about neuroscience and how it ties into everything we've been talking about in order to transform who you're being, you really have to go in and reprogram some shit. You have to be able to identify the thought patterns that are created from the subconscious beliefs that you've picked up from all over the place that no longer serve you and that are keeping you in those same shitty relationships that are keeping you in that same job dynamic that are keeping you in the same diet routine with your body or whatever it may be, that thing that you find yourself coming back to meeting yourself and being frustrated. Like there is, that is an opportunity for you to look within and to find that mental pattern to grab a hold of and like unplug and replug in something else. Yeah, And that's, that's where, oh man, when I found your article, <laughs> I was just like, I was, I was freaking out. Um, I, in, in my journey to unlearning, um, I came across Justin's article, which is um, ending racism in our generation. And what I love so much about it is that it plays into everything that we're talking about here, right? Like there's an element of neuroscience to, to racism that we have to start looking at and have to start figuring out how to unpack and support everyone with on all sides of the issue um, with tackling, just like we said, like it has to be an internal, we have to be going after the internal work as fucking hard as we're going at the external work to bring this thing down. And I, I want to, shut up and let you explain the, the, the overall theme of this article and really introduce this idea to the listeners, because it's so important that we start with this one collective belief that we have that we can't end it in our generation. Like that is yeah. screwing us right now. That's literally the glue that's keeping it all together in my opinion. And so again, I'm going to stop talking and let no, you introduce this idea. And I'm like so grateful for your passion, you know, about this and, you know, as being with like looking at you, I know people, other people can't see you right now, but like just mm -hmm. to be here with you and to see you as like a white bodied woman doing this deep work is just like so powerful. 
and incredible. And I just am so grateful, you know, that we're able to be here and to be having this discussion together. I mean, it's literally like our ancestors' wildest dreams, you know, that we'd be able to be here, <laughs> like do this right now. Like Amazing. having having the conversation at this level with this level of education and this level of discourse, you know, and going really to the root is it's where no one's been able to do this before. This is the first, yes, we've had like civil rights era and this, but you ask anybody from those times and they say, this is different. This is the first time with New York Times best-selling books and education around this topic and courses. And, and with social media, like, right? Like even before we started recording, I was like, how amazing is it that I can find you on something like Instagram? You have no idea who I am and you dramatically impact my uh, something that has to happen for us to solve this problem, right? Like it's just, Amazing. it's so magical. And our ancestors didn't have that. And we do need to be good shepherds of this and really yeah. continue this. Yeah. It's a, it's a miracle. And, and, you know, and so I think this article is probably one of the most important things that I did last year was writing this article um, that really birthed itself through me. And, you know, as a black man, I'm, I'm actually biracial, but I'm black. I'm still black. And my, I was reading after George Floyd, you know, even though I've already been involved since way before that, but I think all of us kind of like up-leveled a little bit after that in some <laughs> yeah, way, yeah. Most, many of us, I would say, because some people have been in it for way longer. And I just started doing more reading and research because all of a sudden now people were really expecting me to talk about race in particular you know, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm an activist. Like I do the inner work. I do the social justice work, but like, let me make sure I'm really educating myself on all the conversations that are happening. So I'm reading all the books and I think they're phenomenal and they're fantastic. And I would never have anything bad to say about them. But as I'm reading the books and as I'm reading all the articles that are coming out about race, I just kept seeing this belief that was like said, like very plainly, that this work is a lifetime of work. This is going to be for generations and generations and every generation, you know, has to continue working because this is a fight that will never end. And racism is something that will never end. And I just was sitting one day, I was actually in a, in a hot spring of all places. And I think Great I was just in such a relaxed state. I was in just a beautiful state. And I, I went, wait, why not? Like, why can't this end? Why is that the assumption from which we're creating all of our reality from? Like, why is that underlining assumption, this will not end? And, and if it does end, it probably isn't going to end in our generation. Like, why is that the place that we're coming from? Mm -hmm. And so I just started to question it. And I started to dig in and, and ask, okay, what is it that is causing racism to persist? And people will need to read the article to really get this. Like I can't give you the whole article in you know, a few minutes on a podcast, but the article really is there to help us pose a question because it's not like, because of the work that our ancestors have done, we are actually in a position now where we can take a stand and end it. Like we actually can end it. Mm -hmm. And when people think about that, if I can just get people to go, huh, wait, can we end it? 
like that alone is a new thought for most of us. It was a new thought for me, you know? And so I, what the article really aims to do, and the title of it is Ending Racism, How to Change the World in One Generation, is after a problem has sustained for long enough, we have to shift from asking what's causing the problem to what is making the problem persist. What's keeping it, yep, absolutely. What's keeping it persistent. And because we can go on and on about what's causing the problem, there's gonna be new things that cause the problem every day, right? But like what's keeping the problem persistent? So it's like this hamster wheel that keeps going. What are we, what are we looking at? You know, or I think about it like a snowball. It's like, there's, as time goes on, there's gonna be new things that add to it. And then this ball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, more hair, more whatever gets added to it. So what's causing this thing to keep rolling? And how do we tackle those things? And that's what the article really helps us understand. And it's, you guys, oh man, it's so good. It's so good. Justin really outlines a couple of different main points, like that racism is unavoidable, that race matters, um, all of these ideas. And again, this for me, this is where it comes back to like neuroscience, right? These It's collective thought patterns yeah. that are keeping this system in place. There's obviously systems and institutions and things of that nature that also keep this in place. But if we never dismantle the idea that we can't end this, it's, you know, the quote by, by um, Ford, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. Probably right. That's it. And we've been, we've been talking, you know, as a man thinketh, so he becomes like, I mean, shit going back to the Bibles and like Greek philosophers that are telling us like what we think happens. And so if we all think that we're never going to end this, guess what? We're never going to fucking end this. Yeah. And even if you do, and this is why I say the internal work matters because yes, like breaking the school to prison pipeline matters. Like, yes, mm -hmm. like fixing the criminal justice system matters tremendously. Absolutely. But if we don't tackle the root, which is this, like you call it, the collective thought patterns, then we just use that same pattern to create some new thing that like oppresses. Also does it slightly different. Exactly. Yeah. Just like we did with the last civil rights movement. Exactly. And I think that's what's so interesting is that looking at it fr like from the lens of the white community, it's and like I think that was for me one of like the craziest things and like really waking up to all this is like, holy shit, like how can there be two completely different realities for people in this world that we live in? Like completely different lived experiences that one body of people like cannot see. Like white supremacy is designed to keep you blind, to be invisible. So that as a white person, there have been plenty of times like, I don't think that was racist. Racism doesn't really exist anymore. Like, no, that was like something that ended back in the sixties. Right. And it's like, that is the collective thought patterns that the white community really needs to take a fucking look at. That's that denial. And that, you know, that there was some huge, huge progress made in the sixties and yeah, yeah are, you know, that is to be celebrated. But the mistake that we made was when it went underground, thinking that it was over. And, you know, I, I, there was obviously some intentionality in, in that from certain groups of people, but there was a big part of America that just kind of got 
sideswept by it and never considered what was happening. And then, you know, our parents passed on this idea of like, I don't see color, you know, we're all of these very well-meaning, well-intended thoughts. Maybe they weren't like, I I think there's probably like a secret society out there somewhere like (laughs) masterminding. I'm serious. Like the Willie Lynch letter, like, come on, like somebody had to think about like, if we just tell everybody that we can't ever end it, then guess what? It never ends it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, we have to, we have to start looking at all sides of this issue because it, I, I am so on the train that we can end this now. Like we can get this thing done in our generation and we need more people to, to, to at least think about it and then really want to get on the train with us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so go, we'll, we'll definitely link the article. I think there's, um, it is really, I, I, I'd love also what you mentioned. It's more designed to be thought provoking and really start to mull around this idea that seems completely contradictory to everything you've ever thought about in your entire life. Um, which, you know, as you go going through an unlearning journey as a white person is the, the, that's the experience. Like you have this, Oh my God, nothing is what I thought it was. Um, and and as I, I think what's important, if I can just say something, because I think it's important to name is one of the things that feels urgent to me in this process right now. Um, and a big part of the work that I'm doing is while yes, there's a lot of work that white people need to do. There's also a lot of work that black people and people of color need to do. And it feels important for me to say that as a black person, like I have to say that, you know, it's not even for you to say. And I think the reason why that's important is there are collective thought patterns in the black community that keep it persisting too. Mm. And I'm not saying it's our fault or this or that, like that. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that we all have to show up together and step up and do our work. And if white people are the only ones reading about anti-racism and doing all this work, then it's just creating more inequity actually in the process, you know? And so how do, how do people of color, how do BIPOC look at some of our unconscious beliefs? For example, one that many BIPOC will know is this belief that happens in our households and people say, oh, white people will never change. Mm. they'll never change and like I've heard that in my family for for generations you know and it's just like yeah like how's that belief serving the reality that we want to create it's not at all you know and so what do we also have to undo what traumas do we also have to heal how do we have to learn how to channel our anger in a way that helps move us forward not just continually needing to quote unquote be heard but to actually make an impact. And so I think there's a lot of work that that all communities need to do right now. And some of the work is similar, but and some of the work is very different from one another. And so I just, that feels important to me to name, you know, for many reasons, but yeah. Thank you. I think that it is wildly important. And yes, the thought patterns themselves will look much different. And I think that the work is, is, is similar. And in the sense of, we all need to dismantle some things. Like there are absolutely 100% thought patterns for the black community that, you know, white supremacy would much rather leave in place. Things like we don't belong here. I mean, all sorts of on the white side as well. Like all of these things, I don't see color where I'm not racist, uh, you know, all of the little things that we've been taught to keep these things in place are 
what we need to take a look at in addition to generational trauma. Yeah. Um, generational trauma is something, I mean, when I like, I can't I, to try and think about and like comprehend the level of generational trauma that the black community holds. It's truly horrifying. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just like, how do we help how do we help heal that? How do we get tools into the hands of the people who need it most so that that is broken and that that people know that they there are options out there to release that and move away from it and not have to carry it forward and continue to pass it down because it's just, I can't, I, I still have, I don't I have the comprehension to wrap my head around how it's held. Yeah. And what do we do to help release that? Amen. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, I um, I end my article with this quote by this woman named Shelley uh, Tegelski, who I work with in the Liberation Experience. And the Liberation Experience is a program that I do for anybody who's interested that really is here to unite and bring people together across what are perceived as divides. And Shelley's my partner in it. And um, the Liberation Experience, for anybody who, who's interested, you can get on a wait list for the next one. It's... um. Anyway, depending on when you're listening to this, there's one that's probably coming soon. And it's on my website, justinmichaelwilliams.com. And it's all done through our foundation, the Dream Bigger Foundation, that's here to help all of us dream bigger than our circumstances. No matter who we are, no matter who we love, no matter what color our skin is, no matter what our political beliefs are, no matter how much money we have in our bank accounts. And there, there's this quote that my friend Shelly, actually, she just like, she said this to me one day. It wasn't like a quote in her book or anything. It literally was like something that she text messaged me when I was going through a hard time. And she said, Justin, there are two types of people in the world. She said, there's the what ifs and there's the why nots. She goes, don't be a what if. Don't be a what if. You know, the what ifs are stuck in their analysis. They're stuck in the analysis paralysis. They just get stopped. Be a why not. Why not me? Why not now? Why not us? Why not try? And then see what happens. And I just constantly keep anchoring back into that. Why not? Why can't it racism end? Why can't we start meditating? Why not be able to change our lives? Why not? Why not? You know, and if you, and why not just try? Right. See what happens, you know? And that's the, the, the frame that I've been trying to be in as much as possible. Oh, that is so good. Uh, I am team. Why not? Why the hell not? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? We're in the same shitty situation we're in now. If it doesn't work. You're just going to be right back where you started. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So might as well give it a go. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, the liberation. Experience. Experience. The Um, the liberation experience. Um, Yeah. I'm excited to, to do that program with you. Um, Oh, you would be so great in this program. You would love it. It's the coolest thing. We have so many people from all over the world of all different genders and ages and socioeconomics backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not just theoretically bringing people together. Like we actually bring people together and like what happens in that space will blow your mind. We had a, in one of our groups, we had a 17 year old black boy from Compton in a breakout room with a 71-year-old white woman from Canada. Mm-hmm. And they both come out crying and they've become like great friends. And, you know, it, it just like the fact that that can happen and we can create the space for that to happen is really, really something beautiful. 
oh, it's incredible. And it's what's needed. Like we have to figure out how to hold space for other experiences, how to be with that and learn from it. And that's, that's the space where we start to move forward. Yeah, that's it. Amazing. Um, okay. You also, one of your more recent articles, which feels just so relevant <laughs> given, let's see, when we're recording right now, um, we're coming around the corner on um, Inauguration Day is uh, like a week from today, actually. It is, yeah. Uh, and so tensions are high <laughs> and lots going on. Um, you you recently put out an article about starting a new political party, and yeah. I could also not be more on board with that. Like. <laughs> Do you need a vice, a vice chair, vice president to go run no, with you? <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny because I put it out at first, like as just like a thought, you know, as an idea. And it is like gaining so much steam and it has me really considering like, should I really try to do this? You know, yes. like studying yes. this. I'm, like, a yes. yeah. I'm a hell yes for this. Yeah. And, I'm absolutely serious. You know, and and the what I saw, if, if people look at the article, it's all, all these articles that I'm talking about are on my blog and um, on my website. And there, I was watching during the election, we were waiting for days and days for the presidential election results to come through. And, and just watching what was happening really in each state and noticing that there was no red or blue state. There really wasn't. Like every single state was purple. And even in California, you know, there's like boxes of red. When you zoom in, there's boxes of red surrounded by boxes of blue and boxes of blue surrounded by boxes of red. And like, that is what makes America. Mm -hmm. That is a part of what makes us. And then in this division of blue versus red, then we like create this clusterfuck, which is so not, which is why we feel so confused because it's like, it's the red fault. It's the blues fault. It's this. And it's like, no, that's, it's, that's not actually the world that we live in. You know, mm -hmm. it really isn't. And in all this pointing right and left, we actually end up not remembering to point in the direction of the actual problem itself. Mm -hmm. And we're just pointing at each other. And so I had this, you know, thought of, gosh, we need to just start a whole new political party. This Democratic Republican stuff isn't working for any of us. It really isn't working for, for any of us, no matter what side that you're on. Or I, I guess I should say for most all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. And because I've talked to so many people that are, you know, I'm, I've registered as Democratic, but I have a lot of values that I think are like maybe a little bit more conservative in some ways, you know? And, and I also know a lot of people who are registered as Republican who like believe in a lot of things that are quote unquote democratic. And so I think it's just what's become of these parties is not serving who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I was like kind of brainstorming names for the new party. And I came up with one actually that feels like really simple and very grounded. And it's, it's so simple. It's the United Party. That's it. We're the United States of America. Oh it's my God. It's just, it's the United yep. Political Party. There it is. United States. And so, you know, and, and it doesn't need to be about, is this like a crazy left party or a crazy right party? No, it's a party where everyone, you know, on board, yes, we want like fiscal responsibility and we want our, our economy to be great and not this either or, and we also want to take like radical care of, people. of our people yeah. and have people. And I think most people 
actually want, want that. that. Yeah, I think absolutely. I know want. it's so crazy how we've gotten to this space where it's like you either have to care about money or people, and it's yeah. like since when? Yeah, and yeah. like, yeah, we won't. We, we won't get because it. we print the damn money. So like, what are you talking yes. about? <laughs> yeah, it's so interconnected. Like, how yeah. do you how do you yeah. pick one or the other? I like both. I'm an and not or. That's one of my life philosophies. Is yeah, I, I hate being put in an or situation. Yeah. And put an or then I usually try and take and. Yeah. And and that's what that's what I think this time is teaching us is mm-hmm. either or is not working anymore. Everything has to be both and. Like yes. we're learning this in gender, we're learning it with race, we're learning it yes. in politics, we're learning it everywhere. It's like it's not this binary way of doing things isn't working. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. It just mm-hmm. pits us against each other. It does. It does indeed. Oh my goodness. What a conversation, huh? What a condo. I'm like, is this real life right now? Is this like actually happening? This is like one of the best. I've I've had like nine interviews this week and this is my best one. No joke. I'm like, oh oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. So honored. Thank you. Well, let's talk about upcoming programs. Um, What's like, what's on? Well, before we get there, like, what is, what's your vision for your 2021? Like what, if you look back a year from now and you are most proud of accomplishing, what is it? That is a really great question. If I could look back a year from now, the number one thing that I would accomplish, COVID allowing, is really creating a national tour, bringing people together in a space of hope and positivity. I want to fill up large theaters and arenas with people and bring them together in this incredible space of hope and love and connection. And if it can't be an arena, then it'll be just a large zoom arena, but mm-hmm. like really able to do that in the fall um, is something that feels exciting to me to be with people in person and just create a space with music and empowerment and motivation and inspiration and like really clear teachings to help people come together and help them change their lives. And that's what we're planning for here on my team right now. Amazing. Um, shout out to Alex, by the way. Yes. Love Alex. Best. Yeah. Alex is the best. Um, we love you, Alex. Yeah. We're shout out to Alex. (laughs) And I will wholeheartedly support you in that goal. And in the meantime, how can people, I think they, if we haven't made it clear yet, there is an abundance of resources. Yeah. Just literally Google my name, Justin Michael Williams, and you will find me. And if you want to really see like what's coming next in the community and And with our work, you can just go to justinmichaelwilliams.com. Our community has something that we do every single Sunday that is totally free. We have an online gathering every Sunday called The Kingdom, and there's no charge to it. And I say it's like if Church Super Soul Sunday and a TED Talk had a baby. It's It's like that. There's music and teachings, and sometimes I have special guests, and sometimes it's just me teaching. And But mostly- an amazing community of people coming together online. You don't have to have your camera on. It's not like a, that kind of a thing. It's just, you come and enjoy and chat in the chat box and um, it's all free. So you can find all of that on my website and, and my book and all that stuff. And, but most importantly, just like take care of yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. like just, this Mm -hmm. is such an, this is such a big time for all of us. And a part of, you know, in the beginning, like I talked about, you know, having that overachievers syndrome that I think many of us have, or, thinking about the work that our ancestors weren't able to do. One of the things that we get to do differently this time is we get to take really good care of ourselves in the process. Mm. And so take care of yourself as you're growing and changing and evolving and fighting for change. 
What an amazing reminder. Yes. Yes. Please take care of yourselves. I also really want to commend you um, as something that I'm really trying to wrap my head around and make sure accessibility for these tools is so important. So important. And I really just want to acknowledge that you offer so much value. You're so generous with um, sharing ideas and resources. So please, you guys take advantage and like dive into his website. We can hang out at the kingdom on Sunday if you want. And the question that I end my interviews with, I have a gratitude practice where I fall asleep thinking of three things that I'm grateful for. And I won't put you on blast for three, but I would like to hear one very specific thing that you are grateful for that's happened in the last 24 hours. Oh, this is beautiful. I do a gratitude practice every night too. I write down five things. So um, let me just, let me pause for a (laughs) second. We'll get you started on your homework for tonight already. Yeah. Really, really, I, I'm really grateful for this interview. And I know that sounds cheesy, but you are incredible. And I do a lot of interviews where I really have to kind of like hold it for the person. And you really have shown up with such grace and such presence and beauty that I really just feel like I'm in a conversation with somebody who I'm just so engaged with. And I hope people can feel that because this conversation to me is, to be honest with you, has been like the highlight of my day thus far. I've had a really, really busy, busy day. And this is, I think, my sixth Zoom thing of the day. And I feel so re-energized and like, you know, grateful that you show up as you. And I, that literally will be going into my gratitude journal tonight. So thank you. I'm, I've, I'm trying not to cry, but thank you. <laughs> You're going on my gratitude list today too. So that's cool. Um, and just again, thank you for your time. You guys, please go follow Justin um, at We Just Well. Is yeah. we just, did I say that right? We just, um, well. mm-hmm. we just I was like that just kind of flew out of my mouth. I think that was correct. Yeah, we Just yeah. Well on Instagram. Google him, Justin Michael Williams. And again, thank you so 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 much. Um, and just really grateful for you and your work. And that's a wrap. We want to hear from you guys. So tag at Make One Day Happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. Head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to for my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to, so we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all, peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S., 
So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.